Good evening. Please open in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 14, please. Genesis chapter 14. It's another great chapter as we uh, we continue to make our, our way through learning uh, more about Abram. And uh, we're going to be introduced to Melchizedek, uh, who is a king of Salem. And um, he's a high priest or priest of God most high, as it'll say in verse 18 there. But Really wonderful chapter. I, I can already uh, tell you that there's many names that I'm going to mispronounce. So <laughs> please, I will ask your forgiveness ahead of time uh, already on this. But uh, we'll start in verse 1 and we'll read through and then uh, we'll go line by line. So chapter 14, verse 1. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphil, king of Shinar, Erach, king of Eleazar, Kedolomir, king of Elam, and title king of nations, that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemember, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, or that is Zor. And these joined together in the valley of Sidon, that is the Salt Sea, which we know today as the Dead Sea. Twelve years later, or twelve years, they served Kedalomir, and in the thirteenth year, they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Kedolomir and the kings that were with him came and attacked Rephan and Ashtaroth, Karnerim, that is Zuzum, in Ham, the Emim in Sheva, Kerithim, and the Horites in the mountain of Seir, as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishvat, or Kadesh, and attacked all the country of the Amalekites, and also of the Amorites, who dwelt in Hazan Tamar. And the king of Sodom, and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma, and the king of Zebulun, and the king of Belam, that is Zor, went out and joined together in the valley, excuse me, in the battle in the valley of Sidon, against Kedolormir, king of Elam, Tidal, king of nations, Amphro, king of Shinar, and Erach, king of Eleazar. Four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidon was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all their provisions, and went their way. They also took Lot, Abraham's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. The one, then one who had escaped came and told Abram, the Hebrew, it's the first time we actually see him called a Hebrew right there, for he dwelt by the terebinth tree of Marmory, the Amorite brother of Eshcol and the brother of Aner, and they were all allies with Abram. Now, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captain, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is, the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Kedalormir and the kings who were with him. Then... Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest 
of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And he gave him a tithe of all. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourselves. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men who went with me, and their Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them take their portion. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you again, God, that you are holy and pure, Lord, that you have given us this account here, Lord, this record so much here as we go through these names, Lord, it's our, our, our flesh might want to tune out, Lord. Our minds want to uh, maybe easily distracted because of all the names and these events, these kings. But God, you have such rubies and precious pearls here for us to learn. Just looking at Abram and the character, his heart, Lord, and, and Lord Jesus, how you are so faithful to care for him by sending a high priest to him, Lord, to encourage him. God, we just thank you that you do that for each and every one of us, Lord. You you are so wonderful and loving and compassionate. We serve a great God. We just thank you. And I, Lord, I pray I would get out of the way and it would be your holy word that would go forth here tonight. I ask this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Great. So as we get back here to verse one here, and, and, and I know as, as I mentioned, we were praying, you know, this, this chapter, there are a lot of difficult names to pronounce. And sometimes we can begin to to get distracted a little bit in that and uh, and sort of maybe even tune out sometimes. But but uh, but I, I'd ask you, you hang in there with me on this. The, the names are difficult, but there's a lot of meaning and there's a lot of purpose and God did inspire this and there's a lot he wants to, to share and teach us here uh, tonight. So extra focus, extra coffee, whatever, whatever you need to, to really just dig in on this because this is a wonderful chapter. So in verse 1 it says, And it came to pass in the days of Amraphil, king of Shinar, Erak, king of Eleazar, Kedolomir, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations. So this is really the first war we see in the Bible here. You know, Abram was living in memory um, after Lot had separated for him, heading towards Sodom. You might remember that in verse 10 of chapter 13 it says, And Lot lifted his eyes and saw that all the plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zor. He's talking about how gorgeous and beautiful this area is, and this is this is the plain of the Jordan that we're talking about. And in essence, what we're seeing here is there's these these four kings initially, and really the the one that seems to be the the leader of the group, if you will, in verse four we read um, where it says, "12 years you served." Kedalormir, right? Kedalormir. And he's the leader of this group, and he's got these other kings with him. Um, you know, Amphil, king of Shinar, and Shinar, according to chapter 11, verse 2, is, is the Babylon, or the region of the Mesopotamia there. And then we read about uh, Erak, king of Eleazar, which is the leading tribe in southern uh, southern Babylon, okay? And then we look at uh, Kedalormir, king of Elam, Right, that was the original kingdom of Persia, if you're taking notes. 
and title king of nations. This is probably northeastern Babylon. So at that time, kingdoms were, were definitely uh, small, uh, more like city-states. Um, but these four kings together were, were, were very cruel. They were known for being very cruel. And so what's happened is, is Cato Lermir has control with these four kings over this area, this region, and, and this, this uh, area that we're going to see here, this Jordan plain that which Lot, if you remember when he had split off, as we already read in verse 10 there, in chapter 13, when his eyes, instead of yielding to his elder and uncle Abram, he turned around and he, you know, picked up the tricks and traits he learned in Egypt, which was, uh, you know, what was good for his own eyes and the riches. And he just went after it himself and, and, and really just shows a sort of that selfish heart, that desire for himself and, you know, no compassion for his, his uncle like that. So in verse 2, it says, Then they made war, again, the first war we see here in the Bible, with Bera, king of Sodom, right? So now we're going to be introduced to these five kings in the Jordan plain. Bersha, king of Gomer, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemember, king of Zebum. You know, you can make a lot of jokes like remember, Shemember, right? All the ways that you would remember these. And king of Bela, that is Zor. So as we were introduced to these local kings here, that were placed under tribute to Cato Lormir, right? And there were five that were listed and controlled uh, controlled these local city states. These are even smaller in that Jordan Plains, uh, Jordan Plain, excuse me, near the the southern Dead Sea area. Now, Bera, the king of Sodom, it's interesting. His name in the Hebrew connotes son of evil. That's that's very very important because as we continue on in uh, in this chapter, there's going to be a point where he's going to visit Abram. And it truly is a visitation from the son of evil. And then Bersha, who's the king of Gomorrah, means great one or tall one. Okay. So verse 3, all these join together in the valley of Sidom or Sidom. That is the salt sea. So they're talking about the Dead Sea, uh, the, the, the valley of Sidom, which means fields, right? Talks about really that Jordan plain because of the high for, you know, fertility in that area, the agriculture, as I mentioned already a couple times, Lot looked, lifted his eyes, he looks out, he sees how beautiful, well-watered this is. Clearly, he thought, you know, beautifully fertile, good pasture for, for the, uh, the animals like that. So it's, it's important to, as we start to put this together, to realize that one of the things that we're going to see is in, in verse 4 is these kings, these these five kings, as they break their tribute, is that instead of going after these four, the, the, the four kings, Cato instead of him going after these five kings that are going to break this tribute, what does he do? He actually ends up going after the five kings' allies. He ends up going after Rephim, Zuzum, and all these other places around them, and he goes after them and destroys them first. Right. And then so so I don't want to get them ahead of myself here. I just I'm just setting the stage. So as you start to see this, you begin to see the character of this, the evil and wickedness of these kings that that the person that they that breaks tribute, the, the you know, the, the the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, like that, those are the, if you will, the enemies are the ones that that, that King um Cato Lemire would have had a problem with, but instead what he ends up doing is he ends up going after their allies so that they couldn't come to help the son of evil like that. So we look at verse 4, it says, 12 years they served, Kelodomir, and in the 13th year they rebelled, right? Now, the number 13 in Scripture speaks to, you know, rebellion. That's what it means. And typically, as we looked at it in, throughout Scripture, it means rebellion, okay? Um, in 
the 14th year, Kedolomir and the kings that were with him came and attacked the Rephim in Asheroth, the Karnaim, the Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in Shavath Karathim. So we, we begin to get introduced now to these allies of these five kings. So Rephim, Zuzim, Imim are mentioned as being located in the Ashroth, Karnim, Ham, and Sheva, respectively. The Zuzim are most likely the same as the Zuzimim in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 20. Turn in your Bibles. Uh, let's just turn there quickly to Deuteronomy chapter 2, and let's look at verse 20 here. Verse 20. It says that it was also regarded as a land of giants. Giants formerly dwelt there. But the Ammonites called them the Zamzumin. So we believe this Zumin is the same. The Zuzumin is the same as the Zamzuzin. Okay. And I know that's an interesting way of saying the name. It starts to, you know, Zuzum, Zamzumzum. It almost sounds similar. But but these were giants. Okay. These were people of great. Uh, they were known for being a people, a great people, if you will, that way, and many and tall, right? So, so they kind of had a, a reputation that preceded them. This is, there's a similar description, actually, if you if you stay in in Deuteronomy here, chapter two. If you look at verse ten, we're going to look at the uh, Emim, right? So Emim or Emim. It says the Emim had dwelt there in times past as a people great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. Now, the Anakin were known for being giants, right? Giants that way. And we, when we think about that, we know that, that Anakin, he was the son of Arba, right? From Joshua chapter 15, verse 13. And Arba was a child of Het, or Heath, which was an ancestor of the Hittites, okay? Who actually end up back in the land of he the Hebron. In Genesis chapter 23, when we get there, verse 19. So, so you're starting to see how, see how important this is, how all these names end up connecting and who these folks are. So it, it, these are the, you know, uh, giants in the land. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute. I thought after the flood, all the giants were gone. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. So let's go back and just kind of look at what we looked at. The Rephraim, right? They're the strong ones. The Zuzaman, they're the powerful ones. And they're possibly from the tribes of Anakim, which were the giants, okay? And we read about similar giants, right? Remember in Genesis, turn back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 4 in your Bible quickly, and look at that with me. And it says, there were giants on the earth, right, in those days and also afterwards. And who were these giants, right? The Nephilim. And what's Nephilim? Remember that? Fallen ones. So it seems that after the flood... There was some type of intensely demonic invasion or something took place on Earth where we see these giant, these these almost like supernatural creatures again, super tall, mighty, you know, strong ones like that. Now, what occurred right after the flood or shortly thereafter the flood, I should say, not right after, but many years after the flood? What occurred that was something that was intensely demonic when you think about it? You're thinking of the, the rebellion at the Tower of Babel, right? Remember when they began to build that tower? And, and we talked about that when they would climb up. And what were they doing? You know, they started getting into the astrology and the zodiac and the occult. It was demonic, right? And they were doing what? They were trying to say that, you know, they didn't need God, that that, that if God was going to flood the earth, they'd build a tower so high that the flood wouldn't affect them and that that, that they were rebelling against God, right? So here God just saved 
you know, mankind through Noah, his three sons and his three wives and his wife, and they were going to repopulate the whole earth. And we can see it's as, as, as God had said, the wickedness of man, man's heart really becomes the issue. I mean, it's, it's always a heart issue. As Jesus said, you know, it, what's our heart like? Our, is it fertile ground? Is it, you know, what's it like there? And, and we see this here that, that something happened, some strange connection here where, again, there was some type of rebellion. Maybe it was um, the Tower of Babel. We're, we really don't know. But but these giants are back on the scene, and, and we can see that for sure. So it says, and verse 6, And the Horites in the mountain of Seir, as far as El Paran, which was by the wilderness, right? So um, then they turned back and came to En Mishvat, that is Kadesh, and attacked all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who dwelt in Hazan Tamar. Now, after defeating the Rephim, right, Kedolomir takes out the Horites in Mount Seir. Now, this territory of Mount Seir will later become the territory of the Edomites. If you turn back into uh, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 22, again, right back, you can see that it says, just as he had done for the descendants of Esau who dwelt in Seir. When he destroyed the Horites from them, from before them, they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place even to this day. Esau. So what is that? That's speaking of what? The Edomites, right? The Edomites. Genesis chapter 36, verse 20 also talks about that. And then it says, then the kings went to El Paran. That's, that's in the southern wilderness. And then they returned to Kadesh on the west side of the Salt Sea, which, again, we know is today is the Dead Sea, right? It's the Dead Sea. And the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, and the king of Zebum, or Zebum, <laughs> you got to love the names here, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, went out and joined together in the valley, in the valley of Sinem. Now, the first thing that, again, fields, right? We talked about the Sinem. The first thing that jumps out at me, though, here. And I don't know if it, if the Holy Spirit, you know, put a put it in your heart as well. You know, one of the things as I was studying this and thinking about this is, you know, these five kings that were in the plain here, their allies are being attacked, and we don't see them going out to defend or help their own allies, right? By the four kings, by Cadalamir and his his uh, ruthless bunch, they're going out and they're destroying all the allies of the five kings in the Jordan plain, and and the five kings aren't coming in doing anything. It's not until after they're already destroyed, the Horites and, and everything like that, and they begin to move back to the Jordan Plain, that then that's when the five kings begin to come up and go into this battle. And it just made me think, you know, it, how many people struggle, and, and I think about it, you know, you think of sin and wickedness and evil. And remember, you know, the, the son of, uh, well, the king of Sodom means what? right? Son of evil. And you start thinking about that. So obviously there's something evil, demonic, wicked about this man, this king. And you begin to think about that, how, you know, sin is so seductive in the beginning. Oh, I, I'm with you. You know, I'll, I'll never let you back. You know, you have a friend, maybe some, oh, I've got your back. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's a drug bust or something goes down and you turn to your left, you turn to your right. Where's that friend? Where's that person that, that had your back, that was, was so tight with you? They're gone, man. They're gone, right? It's just you. You're sitting there alone, and you're you're about to take the heat, right? Whatever that, whatever's coming. 
that's just like evil. You know, the, the devil, the, the, the demonic forces like that, you know, sin will, sin's a, man, it'll allow you to think you got control of it. It'll use you. It'll allow you to think you're using it until the point of when it's done with you. And when you, when there's no nothing left or there's no nothing more to drain, whether it's financial or, or, or your own soul like that, when it's done, that's, you turn to your left, you turn to right, gone, right? Nobody there to stand to help you, to bail you out. These kings, these five kings, they didn't they didn't come to the battle until after their allies were destroyed. You know, until after their allies were destroyed that way. And I, I don't know, that that just stood out at me and I was I was really, you know I was really troubled by that. I was like, Wow, you know, that just you know not troubled and, and surprised, but just proves a point, doesn't it? That that sin will not be content until it destroys completely. There is no, just I can handle it just a little bit. Let me just try this, just, just a little bit of, you know, no, it consumes you. It's like gateway drugs. You think you're getting in, oh, I got this. And then it consumes you like that. Hmm. Verse nine, it says, against Kedolormir, king of Elam, title, king of nations, Amraphil, king of Shinar, and Erak, king of Eleazar, four kings against five. So here, here we see these four kings are going to go against these other five kings now. Now, verse 10, it says, Now the valley of Sidom, or Sidom, was full of asphalt pits. Now, when we think of asphalt, what do we think of, right? Oil, right? Why are these kings coming down there? Where, what are they? Well, that's all about the money, right? You look at what's going on right now in Russia. We got, a, we got an energy czar over there. What's he all interested in, right? He, he's interested in the money. He's interested in oil. He's interested in, in the whole deal. He's just built a, a big uh, new campus. I'll call it a campus. It's a base in the Arctic, you know, and there's been all this pressure put on President Trump. Now, what are you doing in the Arctic? This and that. And when they got to the Arctic, what did Russia figure out? Oh, surprise. There's all these, you know, natural resources there. There's no surprise. He knew exactly what he was doing. He's, a, he's, he's after the resources, just just as we see in the Bible here, where these kings, these these four kings, they're they're going to destroy these people. They're going to do everything. They're going to take all the natural resources, right? So it says these asphalt pits and the kings of Sodom and the kings of Gomorrah. Gomorrah, what do they do? They fled, and some fell there. So so their people are dying that went into battle with these kings, but these kings got out of dodge. They fled. They're out of there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. And they were defeated. They were hiding like that. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. So Ketelamir took it all. He took all the possessions, people, everything, right? And here's where, as we get pulled, you know, as we've been tracking with Abram and he's, he's you know, Lord's been showing us Lot and Abram. They went down to Egypt as they moved out of Egypt. They come in. Abraham's moved to a different area. Lot initially went down to Sodom, but he wasn't in Sodom proper. He actually wasn't in the area. Now we're going to see something change here in verse 12. It says, they also took Lot, Abram's, Abram's brother's son, who was his brother? Haran, right? Remember Haran? Who dwelt, where did he dwell? In Sodom. So do you see that? Initially, Lot's looking at the Jordan Plain. He's looking at the fertility of the land. Now he's in the city. Now he's in the city. He's in Sodom. 
and he's seduced into that lifestyle. Now, I'm not saying Lot wasn't a righteous man, but, you know, because I think Second Peter talks about how he was a righteous man actually in Scripture. But but when you look at it, he's being seduced. He's allowing, you think about it, his, his wife, his kids, he's allowing his family to be around that kind of sin, right? That kind of sin there, especially with a king that you know is named Son of Evil. Who names their son Son of Evil? Well, obviously, the father of the the father of, the, of uh, the king of Sodom did, obviously. But but who does that, right? It, names in Hebrew mean a lot. So they grab Lot, even if Lot was, obviously, did he, he didn't have any business going down there, right? But Abram said, hey, you, you pick where you're going to go. I'm going to pick where I'm going to go. I, lo I love Abram's heart in that, just such a beautiful heart. And Lot looks, he sees the nice things, the riches like he saw in Egypt, and he goes after it. And so because he's seduced in that, now he's carried away. He's carried away by the, the king and he took, you know, King Ketelemir took him and he brings him. He's probably, you know, he's probably enslaving him in some capacity, right? So verse 13, it says, then when who had escaped came, then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew. So now this is interesting here. So one person escapes. And they immediately come to Abram. And Abram's pretty wealthy at this point. He'd come out of Egypt pretty wealthy. He's, he's got many people in his home, in his household at this point. And then they come to him and they, and they tell him. But here's an interesting distinction here. Abram, the Hebrew. Now, some have suggested that this name Hebrew was derived from Eber, right? That was the great-grandson of Shem. Others simply suggest, and, and more likely I think the name really refers to Abram's lifestyle, which was a nomad. He moved directly as, as God directed, right? So where God said, go, he went, right? Because remember, he was told he was going to give his son. He had a covenant, a promise, but it wasn't unfolded yet. He didn't know exactly where he was going. God was unfolding this as he was stepping in faith. You see, I like that. You see, the one thing that I do know is that it clearly, Abram, the Hebrew, it clearly distinguishes him from the Canaanites that were practicing the wickedness and evil. He wasn't called Abram the Canaanite, although he came from a family of pagan idolaters. His dad Terah was a was a was an idolater maker, right? He would he would take idols and he would make idols. The family made idols, right? And even later on, we we know that when you know a few generations later, they're going to head back to the family farm there. And they're still going to have idols. We'll get to that. It's, it's an interesting story that Abram's pulled out of that. Now, what, what's so interesting is we're going to be introduced, as, as we did in our responsive reading here, to Melchizedek. And I don't want to get too far ahead, but God had a high priest in this land. So why did he call Abram? Hmm. Well, let's, let's keep going. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But it says... Mamre, right? That's where it says he was. He says, and he says, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, the Amorite brother of Ishkel and the brother of Aner, right? And they were allies with Abram. So again, allies doesn't mean that they agreed on everything. Obviously, Abram's not like them, but he knew them and, you know, okay. So Mamre refers to what? What's that mean? It means fatness, vigor, and strength. Now, when Abram, verse 14, heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants. Now, whoa, time out. 318 trained servants? That's just men at this point. So if you think about men, women, right, children, Abram, at this point, he, he himself is like a king of one of these small city states. 
probably family of 800, 700, somewhere like that in there. I mean, this is a very large, it says from him, from them, right? From his household is really what it's saying here. He armed his 300. That means that these, these folk, these, these people, they grew up, they were trained servants, it says. They had grown up understanding how to defend, how to fight. They, this was not something that he said, here, here, take a knife and, and good luck. No, I mean, these, these were trained servants. Now, again, you think of the idea of servant. This isn't an enslavement as much as it is a willingness to surrender. It's a beautiful example of Jesus Christ. He doesn't enslave anyone. We're, as the Bible would call us, doulos, bondservants. It's kind of like when you used to go to the doorpost, and if you had if you had uh, been a servant, and maybe even because you were owed a debt or something like that, and your debt was paid in full at that point, you were free to go. But maybe your master had given you a wife, or maybe you had a nice home, or you loved your master and you didn't want to leave. You could take the awe, and they would pop it in the ear, and 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 they'd make a hole, and they put the the ring on it like that, the earring like that, and that signified that you were a free servant, a bond servant. And that's a beautiful picture for what we are. We are blood-bought. Jesus Christ bought us. He, he paid the price on Calvary. And now we willingly surrender. We're servants of the God Most High. I think it's a beautiful, again, a beautiful illustration here, these servants. And what do they do when their master, Abram, calls them? To go out and do what? It says they were born in his own house. Okay? They were born in his own house. And they went in pursuit as far as Dan. Think about that. Reminds me of <laughs> reminds me of Judges chapter 6, right around verse 7, where Gideon, remember it was 300 versus 135,000. Right? Midianites, I believe it was. It reminds me of that. I love that. Love those odds. We serve a great God. What is God demonstrating here? It doesn't matter how big the forces were of these other kings. I mean, the five kings who probably had more people went against the four kings of Ketelamir, and they had lost just, you know, we had just read that in verses 8, 9, and 10 there. And here, you know, 318 Abram's servants. What's that also tell you? Our God's a God of compassion. Our God's a God of protection. You know, you think about Lot, Lot made a bad choice, right? Shouldn't, didn't belong there. Didn't belong in Egypt that way. Didn't belong in Sin City. But he had the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, pride of life like that. And he was there. And uh, But what did, what did God do? God clearly moved Abram's heart to send 318 members of his own home. They were born in his home from youth, trained just as a time for this, to go out and do what? To rescue Lot, not only Lot, but the other people. That's a God of compassion. That's a God of mercy and grace. God didn't have to move on Abram's heart that way. I love that. Our God's a God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances. We know there's going to be another chance because we know we're going to see Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed and Lot's going to come out of it, right? God's going to bring but his wife. She's going to fall in love with that city. And what's going to happen? She's going to look back because the memories, you know, sin's so seductive that way, isn't it? We don't need to look back. God says, plow a straight furrow. Look forward. Put your hand on the plow and look forward. Don't look back. 
Hmm. So he gathers his house and he goes out with these incredible odds, as as many in the world would say. We know as Christians, Bible-believing Christians, you know, born-again believers, ha, God could have sent out Abram. He's probably 85 at this point, you know, maybe 87. Could have sent out Abram on his own. He could have took them all because it was God that was doing it. It wasn't Abram or those 318 men. They were just willing vessels. It was the Lord of the armies. It was God. Verse 15, he divided his forces against them by night. Gives them wisdom. You see, he goes in at night. They probably had 13, 20,000. Who, who knows how many? And he go in at night. And what do they do? They probably catch him off guard. They're disrupted. They don't know what to do. And they're, oh, man, how many are out there? There's got to be 318,000, not just 318, right? They're, they're thinking, oh, what's going on? It's night. They're distracted. They're, they're half asleep. They're caught off guard. Hmm. And he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. That's about 100 miles. That's about 100 miles. You see, I, I like that. I like that God even provides the way of the victory. Verse 16, so he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. So this is a great victory. He, you know, Abram's given the victory. God's given him the victory. He goes and he comes back. Doesn't just come back with Lot, but he comes back with the women and, you know, the children, the people like that. Hmm. So he brings back all the goods. Lot. Victory. Celebration time, right? Isn't it interesting who shows back up? Let's look at this. Verse 17. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheba, that is, the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Kedalermir and the kings who were with him. Who came back out? The king of Sodom. What's his name mean again? The son of evil. So here, the next battle's beginning. Abram probably didn't even know it at that moment. But he's coming off the spiritual high at this moment. It's maybe his guards even slightly down. It can happen to you and I, right? Our guards can get down. See, we're studying this. This is what I was telling you. I said, chapter 14, it's so rich. These rubies, these pearls. Because this happens today. The, the evil one works the same way. It's similar to the temptation in the wilderness where he meets Jesus out there and you know, in Matthew chapter 4 as an example, and he tries to tempt him. The same tricks you know, the Spirit had just ascended on Jesus Christ. He draws him out to the wilderness, the Holy Spirit, and then the temptation comes. And so here it is. The son of evil's out there. He's out there, and, you know, he's in the king's valley. And they, he's celebrating the defeat. The key is we shouldn't celebrate that way. Don't ever let our guard down. You see, but I love what Abram does. He keeps himself pure. But even more, you know what I love? I love that God has already planned. Knowing the wickedness and the evil and everything that the son of evil is going to do, this, this king of Go Sodom here, you know what he does? Arrives on the scene, Melchizedek. Verse 18, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God, most high. If you look at Hebrews, turn, turn in your Bibles uh, with me. Let's look quickly. There's a few chapters specifically uh, Hebrews chapter 5, if we want to look, even 
Um, you can look at chapter six also, but but chapter seven specifically looking at start. Let's start in chapter six, actually, verse twenty here. When the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abram returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abram gave a tenth, a tithe there, part of all, first being translated, what? King of righteousness. And then also the king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like. So this is a typology. This is a type here, a typology. This is not Jesus Christ. This is not God. It says, like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. You see, that's important here because we go back and people often wonder, who is Melchizedek? He, he's a man, clearly. He's a type of Christ in that way. But uh, it, as we look and study this here, we know he's a priest of God Most High. And again, remember I asked, so why did God choose to bring Abram to this land, to this time? I mean, I'm sure Abram probably was thinking this at that moment. He's probably thinking to himself, why now, Lord? Why me? You already had a servant here, Melchizedek. He's of the order of the high priest. I mean, why me? What am I doing here? Who gets the glory in our weakness? I mean, Abram, Abram already sinned. He went down. He, he he told a half lie. He got his, his wife. He let his wife to lie. Sarai at the time in Egypt, you know, almost had Pharaoh marry her. And God had to step in and protect Sarai and protect Abram because of the covenant. And, and, and here we see Melchizedek. You see, None of us here are disqualified. All of us have the, the privilege and opportunity to serve the living God. And it's not because of who we are and how great we are. It's in spite of our weakness. God is made strong. Because he's the God and he gets all the glory. Never touch the glory. It's all his. And so what's the first thing that God does as the son of Evil is coming out to tempt Abram. He's going to tempt him with not only uh, possessions and wealth, as he had already, uh, Abram had become wealthy in Egypt, and he had been seduced by some of that. I'm sure Lot was kind of looking at this going, yeah, yeah, take it, maybe. I don't know, maybe Lot wasn't. I can't, you know, if the scriptures are silent, we need to be silent. But but clearly, Abram doesn't, Abram doesn't fall for it. He says, he first gets a blessing. In verse 19, he says, and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram, God of Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Now, what I love about this, if you, if you think about it, the offering, right? Salem brought out bread and wine first before anything. Melchizedek does what? It's a thank offering, potentially, you know, a thankful heart offering or, or, or an offering of thankfulness for for the battle that God just gave Abram and, and, and recovering his nephew and also the women and the people that were abducted that way. It also could be a refreshment after that battle. But in verse 9, he blessed, verse 19, excuse me, he blessed him and said, and again, this is the first priest we see, the king of righteousness, peace here, giving this blessing. Blessed be Abram of God Most High. Who is he of? 
of the God Most High. It's not just because of Abram. It's of the God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. That's who possesses it, God Most High. Verse 20, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into the hand. Who gets the glory? There it is right there. God does. Who delivered the enemies? God. Don't ever touch the glory. And he gave him a tithe of all. Not some, but all. Now, it's important to talk about this. First of all, he gives it to him because he recognizes him as a spiritual superior. Now, I think it's important, you know, when the Bible talks about tithing or giving, I, I think a lot of a lot of Christians, a lot of people have asked, well, what's this mean? Are we to give 10%? Is this a New Testament teaching? And it's actually it's actually not a New Testament teaching. Giving is more of a New Testament teaching, not not this idea of a tithe. And and it really comes down to, as the Lord said, it's really a matter of the heart, right? We're to be hilarious givers. And it's not just giving of our 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 money, but God desires all our heart. It's the giving of our heart first. It begins with our heart. Are we willing to serve? Are we willing to help our neighbor? Are we willing to pray our mighty weapon and intercede? You know, we're, you know, on Sundays we're in the book of Mark and we're, we're seeing the compassion of Christ and the intercession of, of prayer from friends, bringing their loved ones to Jesus Christ to be healed over and over again. I know the Lord loves that. It's the character of, of God's heart. He loves that, that love for your brother, your sister. We love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we love one another. We die to ourselves for our neighbor. You know, he effectively said, upon these two things hang what? The law and the, the commandments and statutes. That's what he's saying here. You see that? So the idea of a tithe today, it, it you know, it, let, let's put it this way. If, if you had $50 million or better yet, $10 million, just or more, you know, look, both of those numbers are far more than I, <laughs> I could ever imagine or count. But if you had $10 million, you take a tenth of that, right? Okay, a million, whatever, right? You look at that crazy amount of money, right? Now, if you tied that, okay, that, that's a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely. But now let me let me ask you differently. If you make ten thousand dollars a year and you tithe one thousand, that's a lot more difficult, right? Because you know, ten million, eh, maybe you don't miss a million. You know. But you tithe, you make ten thousand, you maybe you know, take ten percent, maybe a thousand. That's a big deal. What's gonna happen? Well, you might give the thousand, but then, then we're going to be praying and worrying about, and we're going to be coming together and you know buying diapers and you know meeting all the needs, paying the mortgage and doing everything else because chances are you you know you might you know it might be difficult to make all the payments. Not that the Lord doesn't love a cheerful heart and giving, but not to the point of where obviously in that particular case where it would put you in in a in, to try to keep some type of law that way, like a tenth, a tithe isn't what it's about. It's more important to be a cheerful giver in the heart. It's more about the heart. You know, if that person making 10000 gave a dollar, but every day went to their neighbor's house, came to the church, maybe they served 
you know, hugged somebody when they came in and they looked like they were having a difficult day. Maybe they're the first one to come over and pray with you when you get bad news from a doctor or maybe you lose a job. You know, to me, that's the beautiful thing. It, it, it's a matter of the heart. And I, and I tell you what, th- this fellowship is a very generous fellowship. I mean, and I'm not just talking, I mean, material, you know, monetarily, this is a very generous fellowship. And I, and I, and praise God for that. I mean, that, that's, that's the Lord, right? He stirs the hearts. He knows the needs of God's in it. He'll take care of it. And we've never, we've never shook the, the money, you know, the money uh, change it. We don't, we don't even talk about it, right? We know the Lord does it. God's in it. He's going to add what he needs to add. We trust him. But this is also a very giving church with your hearts, with your time. People come in here. You know, I look at the flowers are watered every week. The plants, the the bathrooms are spotless. You know, people come in and they they eat, you know, the soups on ministry on Wednesday nights. 530, you know, so people can come right from work here or or the barbecues on ministry in the warmer months here now that we're in, you know, hamburgers, hot dogs, people come out. They're able to come right here from work, be ministered to, be fed, and then sit and feast on the word of God. It's a giving body. I I, I praise God. I think you you all just are a testimony of a living God because you serve unconditionally you're surrendered to the lord jesus christ and he's the shepherd of this church so as he moves on your hearts it's beautiful to see i'm encouraged i'm encouraged every week thank you lord ah praise god for that so again if it's in the bible we're going to talk about it but tithing not a not a new testament concept giving all about heart i think everybody's got that okay verse 21 now the king of sodom said to abram Give me the persons. Now, <laughs> interestingly, if you really look at the translations, what he's really saying is give me the souls and take the goods for yourself. Doesn't that sound like the son of evil, the son of Sodom that way, or the king of Sodom, excuse me, the son of evil? Doesn't that sound like him? Give me the souls, sounds like the devil, demonic, and take the goods for yourself. Take the money, but I want the souls. Verse 22, but look. Mechizedek's already arrived. Abram met with Mechizedek. He was refreshed. He was surrendered. He he gave of all he had, knowing that it was all to God that the increase is. In verse 22, but Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high. Just as Melchizedek said, blessed be Abram of God most high. So here he is. He took the feeding from Melchizedek, the blessing, and now he is turning around and using the word, just like Jesus Christ used the word to rebuke Satan, he's rebuking the son of evil here with the word. I love that. He said, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap. And that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. Who gets all the glory again? God gets all the glory. That's absolutely right. 
except only what the young men have eaten, right? And the portion of the men who went with me, Anor, Eshkol, and Memory, let them take their portion. You see, Abram, he grew from the trial and tribulation in Egypt. Not that he's not going to fall or, or, or struggle, but today, here, he didn't compromise. And you know what? That's like you and I. We go through the storms of life, circumstances change, our God doesn't, but we never compromise. Our God never changes. He's the ancient of days. His truth is truth. The word of God is right 100% of the time. And we can rest in doing it God's way. His will be done. And so it says that they took their portion and they were blessed. And next week, we're going to continue on looking at God's covenant with Abram in chapter 15. And I love the first time we get, look at it right here in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. First time we see it written that way, the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. God made flesh. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for your teaching here tonight. God, seal it in our hearts, Lord Jesus. Don't let the fowler anywhere near the pearls you just placed in our hearts. God, the truth you've just given us. We can overcome and have victory through you, Jesus Christ. Nothing can come against us that way. We know the enemy will try, Lord. We, we see it here. We see the character of it, the character of the enemy. But, but God, you always provide a way. You'll send your angel. You'll send your high priest. You'll send your servant. Lord, we know even right now you pray and intercede for us. Thank you, Jesus, that there is only one mediator, and that's you, Lord. God, to you be all the glory forever and ever. In your holy name we pray all this, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you all. I love you all. And I will see you on Sunday, if the Lord should tarry.